When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the summer tour edition of Biscuits and Jam from Southern Living. I'm Sid Evans, Editor-in-Chief of Southern Living Magazine. My guest today is a Mobile, Alabama native who broke out last year with one of the biggest hits in country music, the pop sensation Fancy Like. Walker Hayes grew up in a neighborhood where his church, school, and girlfriend were all within a mile radius. He met his future wife, Lainey, in 11th grade. After they married in 2004, they drove straight to Nashville so he could pursue his music career. But that dream took more than a decade to get traction, and Walker struggled through some very hard times. Despite years of rejection and disappointment, his love of writing songs drove him to push through. And then in 2021, Fancy Like hit the airwaves. Walker's dance moves became a TikTok sensation, and he's since been nominated for Grammys, Billboard Music Awards, CMT Awards, ACMs, and a Kids' Choice Award. Today on the show, the father of six talks about how his dad booked his first life-changing gig at the Yacht Club in Mobile Bay, his struggles with alcoholism, and his friend Craig, who introduced him to the church and even gave him a van. Plus, Walker shares his go-to meal at Applebee's, where he can now eat for free for the rest of his life. All that and more this week on Biscuits and Jam. Walker Hayes, welcome to Biscuits and Jam. Let's go, Biscuits and Jam. (laughs) Great to have you on. I appreciate y'all having me. Where am I reaching you right now? Today I'm in Phoenix, just a little one-off radio show, and I'll head back tonight. Oh, that's great. Well... Walker, you grew up in uh, this part of the world, down in Mobile, Alabama. Tell me a little bit about your hometown and uh, what it was like for you as a kid. Uh, yeah, just Mobile felt huge to me growing up. I never would have called it, you know, like a small town. I thought we were big stuff down in Bama. You know, if you lived in Birmingham or Mobile, that was it. Now I've traveled the world, come to find out Mobile actually is kind of small. <laughs> I call Mobile a strip mall town. You know, it's grown a lot. I'm 42. So, you know, I've lived long enough to see that town change in many directions. I kind of watched it grow firsthand. I think the older I get and the, the further I go, the smaller, you know, Mobile feels. And that little neck of the woods in Spring Hill that I grew up in is tiny. My wife, Lainey, and I grew up about a song away from each other and didn't meet till we were in 11th grade. We went to the same pre-K through 12 growing up. So even though Mobile is not a tiny one-stop sign town, my life was very confined in a really small area of just giant, you know, live oak trees and magnolias and azaleas and 
my church and my school and my girlfriend were all within like a mile radius. <laughs> well, when I think of Mobile, I think about the water. I think about the bay. I mean, did you grow up with that kind of strong connection to nature, spending a lot of time on the water? The water, for sure. Um, yeah, I wish I could say I you know, appreciated it, but my, my dad was dragging me out of bed on weekends to get down to the boat and clean it or work on it or go sailing on it. And then my parents also had a, a house they bought probably when I was in high school. They purchased a home on Dog River. And so water sports, that kind of stuff. My brother, Brian, he married a girl in Wilmer, Alabama. And that's where I learned to hunt. Grew up playing baseball, municipal park. Like I said, just really small radius of where my life, my upbringing was. I grew up going to Spring Hill Baptist. I walked to it. I mean, it was about a block away and I walked past it to walk to school. Just small town. First concert was Jimmy Buffett. He's huge down there. Walker, when I think about Mobile, I also think about food and I think about things like crab claws and shrimp and flounder and low country boils and that sort of thing. Was all that kind of a part of your childhood? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, when you venture out of your house and you put together, you know, get togethers with your boys, we would drive over to Fairhope or drive over to Gulf Shores. You know, one thing we would do is pick up some boiled crawfish anywhere we could. And that went well with a cold beer. But um, yeah, you know, it's funny, you know, you take that for granted. I mean, I there was an old restaurant called the Maxwell House. My parents would take me there growing up and fried any kind of fish you wanted, shrimp. Crab Claws was like one out of three restaurants had them down there growing up. Right. And then, you know, again, I moved to Nashville and I was like, nobody even heard of a Crab Claw up there. And yeah, I was like, you guys aren't that far away. It's just right down the road. But yeah, the seafood is incredible down there. I mean, I'm pretty much the only person in my family that doesn't know how to make gumbo. There's still time, Walker. <laughs> hey, I can eat it. I can eat it. And you're you're exactly right. You know, I think going back to just getting older, it's like, hey, I need to start. I've been playing the guitar and writing songs, and uh, that's kind of been my focus. So now I need to pick up on some of those recipes. But yeah, just oysters are a big thing. Christmas. We don't eat just turkey and ham. You know, there's always some fried shrimp. There's always some fried oysters and things like that. Well, Walker, so you had a bunch of siblings. There were eight of you, right? There was nine, actually. My parents, they came from previous marriages. So my mother had three boys and a girl, and my father had three girls and a boy. And then they were married, and then they had me. That's a pretty full house, and I'm wondering if you can describe a typical dinner in the Hayes house and who was doing all that cooking. Uh, well, the thing is, I only actually lived with one brother. His name was Brian. He was the youngest on my mom's side. We're divided by many, many years. My oldest brother is probably about 25 or six years older than me. So oh, wow. we're not that tight of a knit family. But yeah, you know, my dad growing up, he was always working late. He loved his job. He's a workaholic. And, you know, I spent a lot of time with my mom. And there's one meal I particularly remember is meatloaf. 
that was a regular in our house. But, you know, I, I retreated to my friends as early as I could growing up. Like I said, my, my dad worked a whole lot. I didn't really get to spend a lot of time with him growing up. And I've been pretty vocal about that. I resented my dad as a child because he did work so much. And um, thank God we were able to mend that relationship as I shoot, as I had kids myself. And I was like, whoa, this is so now I get it, dad. (laughs) You know, I get what you were going through. I want to ask you about your dad, Charles. Yeah. Who passed away last year. Yeah. And the influence that he had on you. I know you said that, you know, y'all weren't particularly close when you were a kid, but when you look back on the influence that he had on you, what do you remember? Oh, shoot. You know, I kind of watched my dad almost like a hero, but a hero that wanted his attention growing up, but I couldn't get it. You know, I wanted him to be available and he really wasn't but he sold real estate man he he did he crushed it he was a go against the grainer he didn't do it like anybody else my dad was just crazy he, he loved music so much we'd be standing in line at cracker barrel and he would just start singing to an embarrassing level i would be like <laughs> what are you doing why are you doing this right now everybody in this restaurant is looking at us right now He just was that kind of guy. He had blinders on his whole life that I knew him. He was just always laser focused at whatever he was doing, which was, you know, most of the time it was selling a house. And if it was sailing, he was the same way. He was crazy, Sid. You know, when you you ever watch a sailboat race, it's kind of funny. It's like watching birds fly really slow. Like one goes and then they go, you know, they, they do that. And at every starting line of my entire life, 150 boats would go this way and my dad would go that way. And I'd be like, dad, I think they may know something you don't, you know, and we would either finish last or we would finish first. That was his attitude. He just was on his own. You know, he marched to the beat of his own drum and he's a very kind guy, very jolly guy. You know, he and I never really shared super deep conversations. I think I could count them on one hand because life was just very laughable to him. Struggles to him, you know, market crash, real estate's terrible. Katrina hits, there's one house for sale in Mobile. That's the only inventory we have. And he's, he's like, all good. You know, he gets up, goes to work anyway. He was that type of guy, but I love my dad. I'll tell you one thing he just taught me is that failure isn't that bad. You you know what I mean? I I meet so many people in my life and they tell me about their own dreams and the, that F word, you know, failure to them is just, it's the end of the world. And I can see it with my own kids, you know, as they're young and they're navigating life and they're, you know, I'm trying to raise them just embarrassment, failure, Failure in front of other people, it's petrifying to a lot of people, but it wasn't to my dad. And he, my first gig was at the Yacht Club on Mobile Bay. The only reason I played that show is because he called me and said he booked it. He said, you're already signed up to play. And it didn't. he didn't ask me. He didn't ask if I wanted to. He didn't say, hey, practice. He said, you're playing this Friday, Trudy. The bar manager said you could play on Friday, so I said you would. 
And I, you know, I was so mad. My dad laughed. Every time I was mad at my dad in my life, I can still hear him laughing because he just knew it's not that big of a deal. You're angry, you're frustrated, you're scared, and it's just not that big of a deal. And if you fail, so what? Yeah, exactly. And so I played that gig and it changed it, it truly changed my life. I mean, and, and he is the reason. I would never in my life have picked up that guitar in the corner of my apartment and said, hey, you know what I think I'll do this Friday is I think I'll go play some songs at this bar. I'm so grateful. There wasn't nobody else in my life who was saying, hey, you need to go do this. I was more of a, a follow the pack type. Of, I just want to fit in. Didn't want to really like stand out too much. Just really just wanted to make a life for me and Lainey. I actually got that gig when I was engaged to Lainey. So it wasn't great timing to pick up a hobby and try to make it a career, you know? Well, it's a lot more than a hobby now, Walker. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, it is. But you know, father-son stuff, I, I could talk about it all day. It's the weirdest relationship and the influence he had on me it's going to influence my own kids. It's so wild. And he died right before this hit the rocket ship. And it's been perplexing to me this year. Just honestly, I still text him. I texted his number from the Grammys. And I said, you know, I'm nominated for a Grammy. You wouldn't believe it. And that's so weird to me that the guy who just heard me one day and said, you need to just do that. And what's funny too, Sid, is he was not a, I mean, there was many times I would have loved for my dad to give me advice. He would say, I don't want, I don't want to be blamed. You know, when you go down the wrong road, you have to decide for yourself. And now I, you know, what's funny is my sons get ticked off at me because <laughs> I, <laughs> I said, I'm the same way. I'm like, man, I don't want you calling me up when I told you to be a drummer and you hate the music business. You got to blame yourself. You got to take responsibility for what you run into in life. You, you had a choice and, and I'm not going to make it for you, you know? So, yeah, man, I, I love my dad. He was, uh, you know, I think no matter how much you love your, your, your dad, when he's gone, there's just going to be a lot of, it don't matter. If you, if I'd spend every waking moment with my dad from the time I was 10 till now, and he died tomorrow, I'd still have things to, to say or ask or, or just dude help. <laughs> well, you wrote a song about him called Briefcase, which is a wonderful song and a great tribute to him. And it has this lyric that I love. Now I get it, Dad. It's a juggling act between feeding the kids and feeding the dreams we chase, which I think is so true Yeah, and sounds like it was very true of him. Yeah, totally. I've learned as I've gotten older, my dad told me so many things without ever saying some things to me. You know what I mean? And within those memories... There's lesson upon lesson about grace and mercy and forgiveness and loving a kid. There's never an adequate amount of gratitude. You know, you can give a parent. My dad loved me and I didn't give him anything in return as a kid. You know, I never ate that meatloaf and thought dad worked for this. I just ate that meatloaf thinking, well, it's what I'm going to feed my kid one day. And so if there's anything I would go back, you know, I did tell my dad, face to face, that I loved him, that I was proud of him, 
you know, I hope he heard it. I played the song Briefcase for him. You know, he didn't know who I was. It was a sad moment. And that song for me was, it was trying to repair a lot of things. It's easier for me to say it in a song than it is to just sit in a truck with my dad and say it. But I love my dad and Lord willing, some of him gets passed on to my sons. I've forgiven him. Before he died, there was a lot of forgiveness. And that goes into that song too, just me saying, we're all really kids. He's a son too. Now I sound like him and I look like him and I walk like him and I talk like him and I try to make my wife laugh when she's mad cause I love my job like him now I get it that it's a juggling act between feeding the kids and feeding the dreams we chase I guess it gets on doesn't fall too far from the briefcase well, there's a lot in that song, and it's a great tribute to him. Thank you. I'll be back with more from Walker Hayes after the break. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Welcome back to Biscuits and Jam from Southern Living. I'm Sid Evans, and I'm talking with Walker Hayes. Well, Walker, so you moved to Nashville. You were there for a pretty long time before your music career started to get some traction. Were there hard conversations with your family about whether or not this whole thing was going to work? I wish we were that communicative, but honestly, man... You know, I think it had a lot to do with where I grew up, but like silence says a lot. If things were heating up, we communicated a lot more. And if things were bad, the phones didn't ring. You know what I mean? And that's just a natural. I think I grew up in a place where when things were bad, you just don't talk about it. You know, when my dad was passing, there were times when I, I would get frustrated with my mom and be like, Mom, you, you have got the call and you've got to tell me that dad fell down the stairs last night. You, you can't call me a week later and say, hey, last week we had an episode. It's OK now. You know, I think some of that's a Southern thing, you know, not yeah. wanting to make a thing of it, not wanting to bother you that, you know, right. that sort of thing. Totally. Or or just be vulnerable or, or, you know, admit weakness. I don't know what it is, but I'll just sum, sum that answer up by saying, you know, when like when I was at Costco and you know, I was an alcoholic and Lanny was always pregnant, we didn't get a lot of visitors. My dad, same old constant, like he would laugh. I would, I would call him and be like, I remember one time I told him, I said, you know, I'm I just got a job and working at Costco. He just laughed and he said, that's going to build some character. You know, he was like, that's going to be good for you. He believed in you. He did. 
Well, it's a pretty remarkable story, Walker. And, you know, I've talked to a lot of people on this podcast who say that they were in Nashville for two years or three years or four years before something happened. And I mean, you had a pretty long road to get to where you are. Was there ever a time when you thought, okay, I'm, I think I'm done. I'm going to hang it up here. There were moments that hurt really bad. There, there were rejections that hurt really bad. There were failures that really did. They felt final. There was a couple like that. But at the same time, and I don't know if this is a product of, of my father or, or I've got a screw loose or what, but I would just get up and write about it. You know, there's a song I have called Leela Stars, and it makes me laugh because I just look back at just that whole scenario and I and I. And I'm like, I honestly tell my own story. And I'm like, man, we're crazy. I mean, we're crazy. Like, it's almost like security was always like saying, hey, I'm over here if you would like me. And we were like, nah, we don't. I'm going to go write a song about this, you know. And I mean, I, I remember sitting in my Honda with the roof that was held up by thumbtacks that my daughter let us borrow. And I'm about to clock in at Costco. It's like 3.50 in the morning. And I'm looking around and, and there's lyrics written on my hands. There's lyrics written on cups, napkins, trash. There's lyrics written everywhere. And I'm sitting here trying to decide, like, how do I be a great father? That's it. I just want to be a great father. And does that mean ride or die? like do this dream, drag them through the mud and my wife through near poverty? Or does that mean I have to just hang that? I need to break up with this dream of mine. And honestly, I'm hesitant to even call it a dream because I didn't have any goals in mind. It's it's not like I was going, man, I want to be famous. I want to be on the radio. I just loved music. I just love to write. And, and and it wasn't like I sat there and talked about that passion. I just did it. I just wrote and I sang. And that's what I did naturally. There was a couple of arguments involving alcohol with Laney that were really, really tough. There were a couple of failures. Like I said, there was one day Steve Martin had actually flown me out to New York to audition for a part in his play called Bright Star. And um, I was so close. I, I remember Lainey and I, she would hold our baby Loxley and film. We would do this scene hours and hours into the night. And we thought for sure this was going to be it. And this was like, this was 13 years in, you know what I mean? And I mean, we've, I mean, this 10 year town is, we've already passed that. I remember getting the call that I, out of the last three, I was not selected. And I remember watching Lainey crumble and seeing her be sad was a different level of crushing. You know, she, she right. was, she was tough. She was, she, she, she felt every heartbreak and we just rolled with it. And she was like, nah, they're wrong or nah, they'll see that was kind of her attitude. But when that one didn't happen, man, I remember her being upset and, and that, that scared me. You know what I mean? It it was, it was like, whoa, even Lainey felt that one. Well, Walker, you've talked about your struggles with alcoholism 
and these low points that you hit. But you have a song called AA that's on your record, Country Stuff. It's a great song. Talk to me about where you were when you wrote that and how that came together and how you kind of take some of this darkness and turn it into something that feels so, so fresh. Well, I guess really if I had like one goal with my music, it's just, I love music that makes me feel less alone, whether it's, it feels like I'm feeling or whether it's saying, you know, what I'm actually going through. And so, you know, I feel like God has gifted me with lyrics. I'm not a melody guy. I'm not a, I'm not a musician. I can't, I'm not like some virtuoso. I just love words. And so AA to me, you could actually sing that song and it would be very sad. You could, you could make it sad because it's a struggle. You know, life is a struggle. Life's not really the happiest thing ever. You know, there, there are moments, but the, but the moments between those great moments are pretty tough. You know, dads die. So do dogs. Hearts break. Dreams don't all come true. I'm one of a billion people who try to be a singer songwriter, but what AA to me focuses on is how life really, if you look at it and you don't try to not do this, but it can kind of be narrowed down to like coping mechanisms one by one. Like what makes you feel validated and gets you to the next moment? And as a dad, that's trying to raise my daughters, trying to raise my sons, trying to continually win my wife and balance our relationship like a plate spinning. And then with the AA line, really, that is, that's a very deeply rooted line. A lot of people have commented or critiqued that line, but I, I thought long and hard about leaving it as I'm trying to stay out of AA. And the reason I left it there, because I, I actually do go to AA and AA is great. And it's wonderful for me. And I'm, I will never stop going. It's awesome. But when I drank that first beer, when I was 13, 14, my end goal was not to go to AA. It wasn't to go to rehab. It wasn't to use something that would eventually control me. And so, yeah, I mean, AA was kind of my anthem to just all, all the dads out there. It's been an amazing song to watch people react. But I if people are like me, I love the truth. And I love, especially when it's, it's dressed up with, you know, sadness and laughter. Well, it's a it's a great song, and I can see why it's resonated with so many people. I want to ask you about another song called Craig, and this is a song about the guy who really kind of helped bring you into the church. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about the song and the man behind it. Ah, well, as the song says, I, I still haven't figured out church, but I get Craig. And, you know, I think God was merciful 
and kind to bring Craig and his wife and his family into our life. I personally didn't have a lot of respect for Christians, only because I'd been hurt by them in the past growing up. My dad was a music minister. I was in church three times a week. I saw a lot of behind the scenes stuff and it didn't really rub me the right way. I was out. And then when I met Craig, I was at probably the peak of my cynicism, would have called myself an atheist. I just thought it was all fake and there was no you know, real transformation. And then Craig knew these things about me. He knew Alcoholic Walker, but he didn't shy away from me. You know, he didn't allow me to push him away. He loved us unconditionally. And you can hear, you know, when I wrote the song, I was not a believer, but you can hear my heart confused. You can hear my heart saying, hey, here's this guy that has something. I don't know what it is. He's got something I need. Or, you know, he talks about Jesus. He might actually know this guy. You know what I mean? And like I said, I didn't think that happened. And I got to see it firsthand. And the reason I wrote the song was to thank Craig for a car. He literally gave us the minivan out of his garage. He's not like a rich person, according to the world standards. I mean, he sacrificially gave us this van because he saw a need. And uh, that really had an impact on me, as you can hear in the song. In the meantime, you know, I discovered Jesus on my own. I realized I need a Savior. And I also have felt a lot of forgiveness towards that hypocrisy, I used to call it, and, and that animosity towards kind of a Pharisee type of person. Because now that I'm a believer, I see that Christians need Jesus too. pastor put it the other day I was talking to. He said, I'm just a beggar trying to help a beggar, another beggar trying to get bread, you know, and that's that's kind of what I am now. But Craig is my best friend. We, we went from complete strangers to next door neighbors. And um, now I sing that song as a full-blown believer. And Sid, when I wrote it, I didn't put the name of Jesus in those lyrics because I felt like I would be lying. I just didn't believe in Jesus. It's almost like I was cursing God with when I wrote the song and now when I sing now when I sing the song, I just want to point to to God and I want to point to Jesus, which is incredible. Walker, would you mind just singing that first verse or so of the song? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It just says, uh, I met Craig at a church called Redeeming Grace. It's like he understood my I don't want to be here face. I didn't bow my head and I smelled like beer, but he just shook my hand, said, I'm glad you're here. He says, we'll all be judged, but he was never judgmental. And even though my songs, they don't belong in no hymnal. He quoted me my lyrics, slapped me on the back, said, man, you got a gift. How you write like that? Yeah, I know. He sounds cool, right? Not your typical kid from Sunday school, right? I still ain't figured out church yet. But Craig, I get, said, no, nah, he can't walk on water or turn a Napa Valley red. But he just might be tight with a man that did. There you go. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. That's great. Really, it's like you were just sorting it all out as you wrote that song. 
It was. And, and I'm, I'm glad you said those words, sort it all out. I, I, I really should stop calling my, my Nashville thing a dream. It really was. I, and I feel like I'm still doing this, but I feel like every day that's just all I'm doing is sorting it all out. I'm sorting out yesterday. I'm sorting out stuff that happened to me when I was 15. And thank goodness for pens and paper. And thank God I somehow stumbled into that hobby, you know, that just just that gift of uh, in, in the language of music, because that's I get frustrated. Being in an artist community because I'm just I don't wake up thinking, man, I'd love to win this or do this. You know, those are It's fun. To, to think like, oh, wow, you know, this sold a lot or, or this, you get these, uh, this applause, but, but I'm truly just a guy trying to sort things out. And it just so happens I make music. And so people can hear what's going on in my brain. Well, I think they hear it coming through loud and clear, and I think they relate to it. I've got to ask you about this song, Fancy Like, which was just this rocket ship of a song last year and it's on your new album it, it became a tiktok sensation yeah. when you dance to it with your daughter and you know you've been at this a long time you've written lord knows how many songs as you said you were scribbling them on pieces of paper when you're working at the costco yeah what was it about this one that resonated with people in such a big way Oh gosh, Sid, if I knew, I would do it again. <laughs> but I don't know, Sid. I mean, at this point in my life, the Lord just does what he wants with us. Laney and I lost our seventh child. And you said it, man. I mean, I've written a thousand songs. I don't, I don't know. You know, my batting average is terrible. <laughs> but I I will tell you this, man, me. And Josh Jenkins and Shane Stevens were writers on that song. And I'm going to tell you, all of us, we'll we'll just say God wanted to just use a really average human with just a normal family that fights about where they're going to go to eat and, you know, a beautiful woman and, and, and just high school sweethearts getting older. And the other writers, he, you know, God is so good that he would allow the world to to just dance for a moment. I seriously think the Lord orchestrated all of it. He orchestrated whatever song I'm about to put out if it flops. He did that too. And it's great. It's just as great. It just doesn't have that sparkle, but it's all for good and for his glory. But I mean, we had a good time writing that song, but but I'm telling you that what happened with it is still confusing. I don't know if I'll ever figure out what that was. <laughs> well, some things, some questions you just don't need to ask, but um, I know you have fun performing it. And if nothing else, I heard you got a gold card to Applebee's, <laughs> which means that you can eat there for free for the rest of your life. So I've just got to ask you, what is your go-to Applebee's order? 
I've been trying to stay on the lighter side lately because we we eat so much of it. But man, I gotta tell you, dude, Applebee's. I joke around a lot, but I gotta tell you, man, Applebee's is truly family. It's crazy to think I used to steal my dad's credit card and take Laney there when we were in 11th grade. Who would have thought, you know, two kids sitting there just eating a Bourbon Street steak going, one day you're going to write a song that basically just blows Applebee's up and you're going to do a dance with our daughter. But man, lately I've been doing the Southwest Bowls and uh, the quesadilla burger is really, really good. But the spinach dip, man, I I never go without getting a spinach dip. (laughs) Well, you know, if this music thing doesn't end up working out for you, at least you're going to have that gold card still. And, you know, that gold card. And again, back to my dad, my dad, he would be proud of that. He would be like, wow, I've definitely thought that like no matter what happens, I got a meal waiting for me at Applebee's. (laughs) Well, Walker, I just got one more question for you. What does it mean to you to be Southern? Oh, shoot. I've I've probably taken the typical route of like growing up, you know, in the South and wanting to kind of sneak out and be like, what else does this world have to offer? But um, the South has a way of preserving the best things about traditions. Southern is synonymous with simplicity and i think some of the basics of family and friendships and uh camaraderie and the pace of life and um keeping things small i say small town but i mean just know people you know know people and be known spend time together simple stupid things like just be kind you know what I mean? Like, you know, that's one thing I love about the South is it reminds me of when you roll up in the mobile, it's like being on the lake. You know, every time you pass somebody on a boat, you wave. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing to teach your your kids, you know, no matter who they are, whether it's whether they're on a little they got a little outboard fishing boat and they're going to throw a net somewhere and, and you're wakeboarding. You just you just say, hey, you know, that's. That's Southern. And it's not pretentious. You know, there is in in the South, there is like a candy coated sweetness that happens and it can be very bad. But, you know, that's not pretentious. Kindness, hospitality, that's Southern to me. But, yeah, my South, you know, when when we get real specific, I mean, Southern is is coastal to me, like going back to that food. And uh, his family, and and I've been a lot of places in the world, and there's a lot of faith in the South. It's not perfect; they don't got like it all figured out. But you know, faith is a value that I see in the South. I hope that answers the question. It sure does, Walker. And I appreciate your candor, and I appreciate all the time you spent with me today. So oh, thanks man. so much for being on Biscuits and Jam. Thank you. I appreciate it. I I, I thought we were going to eat biscuits and jam, but (laughs) maybe next time. We're working on that. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Walker Hayes. You can check out his latest song, Y'all Life, wherever you get music. Make sure to visit walkerhayes.com for tour dates and more. Southern Living is based in Birmingham, Alabama. 
Be sure to follow Biscuits and Jam on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And we'd love your feedback. If you could rate this podcast and leave us a review, we'd really appreciate it. You can also find us online at southernliving.com slash biscuits and jam. Make sure to come back here next week for my conversation with the rising star and Texas native, Madeline Edwards. Madeline Edwards.